0: Hello, everyone. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life, a radio ministry of church partnership evangelism and the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work around the world and in our community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. The structure of our fellowship is simple. We seek to grow together as a community drawing upon the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're saved through grace by faith in Christ alone. We want to know him and make him known in all that we do. Today we're taking up a consideration of the last half of Romans 7. This could be the most controversial passage in all of Paul's writings because there's a wide range of opinion about just what Paul is saying. There in the passage Paul records the corruption of his own ability to follow the law of God even though he says he wants to do it. The age-old question is, is Paul referring to himself before he was saved or is Paul speaking of himself? After his salvation in the present moment. But I am, in verse 14 of Romans chapter 7, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. Now, what's Paul saying? Again, he's saying that the problem is not with the law. The law is spiritual. Just prior to this, remember he said the law is holy and just and good. It's spiritual. It's in the right place. The weakness of the law is that it has no power to change what we are in the flesh. The law is spiritual, but I am, he says, carnal, sold under sin. And the word carnal there is the Greek word sarks. We've talked about this before. The word carnal just means of the flesh. Paul says, I am of the flesh sold under sin. And then Paul goes on to demonstrate the condition of that flesh, how it expresses itself. He doesn't do what he wants to do. He does the very thing that he doesn't want to do. And this very process reveals that he knows instinctively, or he knows in his heart that the law is good, even if he doesn't always obey it. And by the way, that's the fact with you. The fact is that that you don't obey the law, and you know you should. Aren't there things in your life that you know you should have done and things that you don't do that you, you know you should do and it doesn't work out all the time and, but you know what you should have done and you know what you shouldn't have done? That reveals that instinctively, whether you did it or not, usually oftentimes we fail in these things, that you know it was good and it was right. It's also revealing that it's not with the should have and the should not have that the problem is. It's not with the rule or the standard. The weakness is in yourself can't keep it. It's not with the law itself. And that's exactly what Paul's making here. That's the whole point now of what Paul is going to say in the rest of this chapter. He's just going to reveal that the failure is not with the law of God, but that the law of God demonstrates the failures in ourselves that's within us, that it's within our fleshly makeup. It is with the sin that hosts itself in our flesh. And the weakness of the law is simply this. You can't change what is in your flesh It can't change you in that way. You can't do it. And so if you go to the law to change what's in your flesh, now I'll prove myself that you're going to fail. And so this is his whole point. Now, let's transition for a moment, because there's another thing we have to look at in this passage. Paul is speaking I, I, I here in this passage. He uses I and me a lot in this passage. And the question that's being asked by different individuals is Paul really speaking of himself. This can't be the Apostle Paul who's, actually giving you a record of his own life and his own experience. And so some say that Paul is only speaking here allegorically. He's basically speaking to another individual across the table, and he's using I and me in order to you know, not be too direct with him. But that doesn't seem to be the case at all. That doesn't seem to make sense. As a reading of the text, actually, Paul says, let me show you something in verse 14. In verse 14, Paul says, For we know the law is spiritual. There, when he says, we, he's identified himself in a group of individuals, and he's expressed himself. And then he says, but I am. And now he draws it back upon himself. And by saying that, we know that now Paul is not using the I to speak of the we. <laughs> he's already acknowledged the we around there. And now he says, now I am, and so Paul is talking about himself. So that's something we put aside, but that's one of the debate that goes to play. So. But the next question is, who is this I that Paul is speaking of? At what point in time is Paul speaking of his life? Is Paul reflecting on himself prior to his conversion of faith in Jesus Christ? In other words, is Paul using himself to describe the state of the unregenerate person? And he's basically using himself as the template. Here's what the unregenerate person is like. They're carnal and sold under sin. Is that what Paul's talking about? And there are a number of individuals, and this was the prominent view in the early church, that Paul was basically describing through his own life, what he was in his state before he was born again, and before he believed in Jesus Christ, and before he had been changed, and he had been made a new creature, and that's who he's referring to. He's referring to the unsaved Paul that once existed, and he's just speaking to it to make a point in the present. That's the idea here, but there's the other question. The other idea is that Paul is actually reflecting upon himself in the present hour, in his present position, that Paul is describing the current condition of every born-again person, including himself, and he's giving himself as, again, the template of the experience of the Christian life. In which case, if you read this passage, it sounds pretty bleak. you know. It sounds pretty pathetic and pretty sad. A lot of individuals don't want to go there either because it doesn't sound very victorious. I'll give you a little clue here, by the way. We're not going to get this far, but you can't understand where Paul is going in this conversation until you read Romans chapter 8. The victories in Romans chapter 8, but we have to stay in Romans chapter 7 for now. So what are the clues that Paul was possibly just describing the past state of an unregenerate, unsaved person? Remember in Romans chapter 6, 22, Paul declares that the Christian has been set free from slavery to sin, and the Christian has, as a result of faith in Jesus Christ, become a slave by the power of God's grace, bound by grace to become a slave of God. He's been freed from being a slave to sin that produced the fruit of unrighteousness in order to become a slave of God that produces within him this ongoing fruit of obedience. And that's Paul's declaration of what a born-again person is. And yet, at the same passage, now that we've just read, Paul says, I am sold under sin. And the word sold under sin is the terminology of a slave. And he's saying, I'm a slave all over again to sin. That doesn't make sense. That sounds like Paul must be talking about what his life was in light of what he just said in Romans 6. He must be talking about his life before he was born again and before he was saved. The next Paul says this. Paul speaks throughout the whole text of his complete inability to do the right thing. He seems to be powerless before the law. And he just keeps failing over and over again. And again, this doesn't seem to be the property or promise that's given to the believer of victory and triumph that's given to us throughout the scriptures. So Paul must be talking to the ongoing, steady drumbeat of moral failure that comes to the individual who's never been born again. And then third, Paul doesn't sound in this passage like an individual who has found peace and freedom and victory in Jesus Christ, which is what the Christian is brought to. When I receive him, I receive peace. And when I receive him, it's with the Son that I'm set free and I have life and I rejoice in it. But Paul's writing here doesn't sound like the triumph of a victory of a born-again man. In fact, he sounds really miserable. He says, I know that is in me, in my flesh, there's nothing good that dwells how to perform what is good. I don't find it. I can't find it. In verse 18 and verse 24, how wretched man that I am will deliver me from this body of death. You take all that under consideration. I conclude that this must be Paul imaginatively voicing the condition of himself before he was saved. Before he had been redeemed and born again with the Spirit of God. So let's look back at the text now and say, what's the evidence that Paul is actually speaking as a redeemed or regenerate person? What's the evidence that Paul is speaking as a redeemed or regenerate man? A person who's put their faith in Jesus Christ and has been saved and washed of their sins and has experienced the transforming power of God in their life. I would say this first. Paul perceives the spiritual goodness of God's law. He sees that it's good. He sees that it is holy holy. And he sees that it is just, and he sees that it's good, and there's no question in his mind. But, but it's a little beyond that. You might say, well, that, that might be possible even in a Pharisee. No, the second thing is he wants to fulfill that law. He has a desire to fulfill that law, do what's right. Well, that, that might also be the Pharisee as well. But his desire to fulfill the law, there's a motivating principle in it that's more than just trying to prove that he's a good person. There's a greater motivating principle here than that he wants to measure up to expectations. Or that he wants to show others what a good man he is and it's clear in this that his motivation is not that he's trying to gain currency with god he's not trying to indebt god to him because he's such a good person no his motivation is not a superficial desire and it's not a twisted and deformed desire it's a pure desire paul says in verse 22 i delight in the law of god according to the inward man at the very core of what I am, I long for. At the core of my being, I take pleasure in the law of God. Now that sounds like a person who's been brought into relationship through a new being and become a new creature, brought into relationship with the lawgiver and exalts and delights and celebrates the deep core of his being and the laws of the lawgiver because it binds him in his relationship with him and expresses his relationship with him When Paul speaks of delighting in his inner man, he's reflecting again on another passage. He'll also say this. He says, with my mind, he says, I serve the law of God. Now, when Paul speaks of the mind, when we think of this mind, we just think about what we're thinking about. We're just thinking about our thought life. But when you read in the New Testament, the expression of the mind, it's really speaking to that spiritual entity that you are, again, as a spiritual being. And Paul is saying, as a new spiritual man, I Pursue and seek to fulfill and obey the law of God. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 2.16, it refers to the condition of the born-again individual. And there it says that we have the mind of Christ. Our spirit is changed. So that the whole interaction of our process of being is driven by Christ in us. Christ's own mind and Christ's own heart. So Paul says, I pursue the law of God, I see that it's good, I want to fulfill it, but I I don't have a twisted desire to earn something from God, and I don't have some superficial desire to impress individuals. I have a deep abiding desire for my inward man because I delight in the law of God, and with my mind I serve that law, this transformed mind. Fourth, here's another thing. Only a born-again individual knows and sees the true nature of sin as it appears in his or her life. The nature of a person who's not been saved or born again is primarily to approach God's law and approach life and everything around them in a self-justifying way, in a self-righteous way, or a self-excusing way. I'm a good person, but that was this, and that was that, and there was too much, and they did this to me, and that's the nature. That's what happens in the backseat of your car all the time when your kids are arguing with one another. There's the self-justifying, the self-righteous And the self-excusing nature goes on and on. It's been going on. That's the nature of the unsaved person. But the saved individual sees himself or herself that apart from the work of God in them, they are unspiritual. That there is nothing good in and of themselves alone. And this self-analysis that I am nothing and sinful and putrid and I have nothing to offer in myself is an analysis that comes to us when the Spirit of God sheds light on our own potential and what we're made of apart from what God does in us and God does to redeem us. And when the Spirit of God comes and we become a new creature, all of a sudden the light of God's truth is shining, but within us it begins to show us all of the vagaries and all the weakness and all the failures that are just in our flesh. So that's what's happening here. It's the born-again individual who sees the true nature of sin as it appears in his or her own life. And where in the past we made excuses of it, or we said, well, I can be good and I can overcome it. We see it for what it is. It's dark and it's ugly and drives us away from those things that are good and pure and right. And it's the very thing that Christ had to die for and suffer for to redeem us from. And there's no answer for it except to be forgiven and cleansed by Him. Thanks for joining us today at the Bread of Life. We'd love to hear from you. Go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links to send us a message of encouragement or a prayer request. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.